we've been going through the book of James, so let's talk about James for a few moments because we, we've been kind of working through the, the process. James has been incredibly challenging, hasn't it? It's like, it's like every week it's like another punch, another gut punch, and it's been so direct. But I think it's what we need in our day. And we come to the end of James, and we're going to have a couple of last uh, messages on it, but... Um, James describes all through this letter what it's really like, what it should be like, what it's supposed to look like to belong to a small community of believers. If you think about the chapters, you can, you can see it in what he said. In chapter one, he said, you need to learn how to be positive under pressure. When the pressure comes, don't give in to the pressure. Realize that God's doing work in your life and you invite him in. And if you, if you can't figure out what to do, ask him for wisdom. In chapter two, he said, you need to be sensitive to people. Stop being so mean. Stop being so rude. Stop being so focused on yourself. Be sensitive to what other people are going through and have faith that whatever you're going through, other people are going through. And you need to realize that God is there working in you and you need to reach out and love people because they're going through some of the same things you're going through and you got to add actions to your faith. Chapter three, it was all about mastering your mouth, mastering your mouth and what comes out and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said, and James said, we got to talk to each other with encouragement and love instead of criticism and anger. And in chapter four, he said, you got to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. Stop being troublemakers, be peacemakers. Take care of each other, help each other. Stop arguing all the time and start loving each other. And then here we are in uh, chapter five and he's talking about being prayerful, being patient and being prayerful. And so we're gonna read in chapter five, James five, we're gonna read just for a few minutes, chapter five, verse 13. And I want you to, out of reverence for the word, I want you to stand up with me and we're gonna read it together, all right? I want you to read it out loud. I want you to say it out loud. It'll be on the screen right here, each verse. Are you ready? Here it is. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. May God bless his word. You may be seated. 
This is a powerful little section and I wanna just highlight a couple of things. Number one, this, this thing about if you're sick or you're in trouble, what should be your first response? So many times we pray as a last resort rather than a first response. Prayer is our first response. What he says here is the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. Do we live like that? Do you live like that? I must confess, sometimes I'm tr- I use this noggin to try to figure everything out. And God gave us a brain. It's good. You should use it. But don't leave him out of the equation. Pray first. And then he says this thing, is anyone happy? It's a, maybe, a, maybe a little faulty translation there. It would be more, uh, probably more accurate to say, is anyone gone through something and has courage as a result of going through it? That would be a, maybe a more precise idea that James is dealing with in this whole passage. And so there's a, if, if you've been through something and you are cur- courageous because God's done something in your life, well, you're the one that needs to pray for people. Somebody needs prayer, pray for them. James writes this as a, as a way of encouraging Christians everywhere, and especially his um, Jerusalem uh, fledgling church full of Jewish Christians. And he says here that you should call the elders of the church. As I've done some research on this and, and read some different scholars, and what you find is that this is not James saying, call the corporate elders of the organization to come pray for you. That's not, that's not the concept at all. In fact, the church is so new, it probably didn't have any formal elders. He's really just talking about established, faithful people. And they might have been more elderly, but these are solid Christians. You know who they are in your community. Call them. Call someone. Call somebody who knows how to pray. And, and, that's, and that's simple. It's, it's not, you gotta call the pastor. You gotta call the guy who works at the office at the church. No, we pray for each other. And there are people here who we would call, we would call faithful and responsible and loving people. And we would say that they are established uh, uh, um, um, pillars in our church. And they are capable of prayer and praying for people and seeing powerful things come to pass. And so it's, it's interesting. James highlights these things. He, he highlights asking each other to pray. He highlights confessing our sins to each other. And then he says you need to help each other when you wander from the truth. And I think this kind of community, this what James is describing here is almost completely lost in our American culture. And we have to recapture it if we want to follow Jesus. And listen, here's the thing. Everyone wants community, right? Everyone wants community. Everybody, every secular person wants community. Everyone knows that they need community, right? They know they, know they need it. Here's the problem they don't know how to get it. Or they, they're unwilling or unable 
to work and to give something of themselves to create it. That's really the problem. Everybody wants it. Everybody needs it. But they're, they're struggling to capture it because, you know why? Because it requires something of you. I have three questions for you today. Three questions. The first question is, when you're in trouble, who do you call to pray for you? If no one comes to your mind, that is a place we don't want anyone to be. And some of you don't know who to call to pray for you. Second question is, who do you confess your sins to? Oh, wait, Pastor Ross, whoa, 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 whoa. Who do you confess your sins? Well, I confess them to God. Well, evidently, the power of the gospel works in a community where you create the kind of accountability and the kind of love and the kind of mercy that you witness when you share what's really deep and vulnerable and meaningful in your life with someone else and they love you through it and they challenge you to overcome it and they pray with you and walk with you to help you, that that's how the gospel really takes hold in a life. Number three, who brings you back when you wander from the truth? Have you given anyone in your life permission to do that? We don't do that that well in American culture, do we? The, our, our, most, most of our cultural response is, how dare you tell me what to do? Here's another question. Here's another question. Who are you willing to go talk to and maybe pull them back and restore them after they've wandered from the truth? So many people I know are like, who, who am I? You know, I'm not, I, I can barely handle myself. I can barely do anything. I can barely follow Jesus myself. I shouldn't be concerned about anybody else. That's not the kind of community James is describing here. And we have, to, we have to settle this because without prayer, without confession of sin, and without the courage to bring each other back from our wondering, we will become a weak and anemic and fruitless church community. I think it's part of what ails our American church. Individualism, isolation, it's real. Some of it's self-imposed, some of it's imposed by our circumstances, but it is killing us. There's been study after study that's been done at how damaging this is. I'll just name one from 2010, and I'm gonna put it on the screen. It was uh, from Holt, Lundstad, Smith, and Layton. They did a study um, on social relationships and mortality risk. Social relationships and mortality risks. And it says, our findings indicate that the influence of social relationships on the risk of death are comparable with well-established risk factors for mortality such as smoking and alcohol consumption and exceed the influence of other risk factors such as physical inactivity and obesity. Physicians, health professionals, educators, and the media should acknowledge that social relationships influence the health outcomes of adults and should take social relationships as seriously as other risk factors that affect mortality. guys are so quiet today. <laughs> Think about that. 
But we're not just talking about community and social relationships that help us feel better physically. We're talking about the community of Christ, the community of Jesus among us, not just a social organization, but a community of prayer, a community of forgiveness and healing that restores each other back to God. Because here's the thing, community requires conviction. Everybody say it together. Community requires conviction. You have to believe that it's going to be worth it. You have to have a conviction. I just was in Memphis yesterday with a Street Matter family. Some of you know Steve and Cindy Street Matter. Cindy went to be with the Lord last month. And we did a memorial service in Memphis. And it was profound because people, one after another, after another, after another, they were there for several years in their, their home church there, had all these people that came up and said, Cindy was the one that I could tell anything to and I knew she would pray. And I knew she wouldn't tell anybody else. You see, what, what I heard yesterday over and over again was Cindy did these things not out of her own convenience, but out of her conviction. Her conviction. And we have to make an investment in others in order to see that. We have to have a conviction that this is how we're gonna act. Um, <laughs> we all seem to want people in our small groups to look and act just like us. I don't know if you've noticed this. Like, we don't want the weird people coming to our group. Like, it's weird, like high school never ends, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know why we want the people who are just like us to be in our group, because most of us are messed up. <laughs> and so, so I'm just saying, I'm just saying we all have different things, but we have a, a, a common community in Christ that transcends all these kinds of demographics and barriers. Number two, community requires commitment. Everybody say it. Community requires commitment. You have to be willing to be inconvenienced by it. This is the hardest thing in our culture. Because we live in a consumer and convenience culture, and it is everything to us. And so we start to think about church as a way to improve our own lives rather than a place to give to somebody else's life. It's a dangerous thing to, to come to conclusion like that. Church is not about what we can sit and get. It is about what, where we can go and serve. It really is. And you'll get more out of it if you'll care for others, if you'll be inconvenienced by it, if you'll be willing to do that. And you gotta go, you gotta go to your small group when the kids are, are grumpy. You gotta go when you had a bad day at work. You gotta, you gotta get up and say, this is meaningful and I am convicted of this and I have to do this because, and I don't wanna do it, but I'm gonna go do it. You know what that is? Now, you can do it out of your own willpower or you can do it out of a tiny seed of faith. And if you'll do it out of a tiny seed of faith, you will find that every time you go, something happens spiritually. It's true. I've experienced it myself. You think I want to get up at 6.30 in the morning on my day off and go to a men's group? No. <laughs> Community requires communion. Everybody say it. Community requires communion. You have to become vulnerable enough with another person 
to be able to experience community. It requires an openness, a vulnerability, a willingness to share yourself. That, that's the only thing that creates communion. It's the only thing that creates this communing together that the Holy Spirit then inhabits. Because communion is fellowship, and fellowship is more than just sitting in a circle. It's, it's something God does, and he begins to work in you. And when you do it, when you're willing to do these things, when you're willing to give, you find that it Something comes back to you because it's a principle of sowing and reaping. You've chosen to invest, even by your presence. All right, I'm here. You've chosen to invest, and you will find God doing something. Something will start coming back to you because you've been willing to give. That's a principle of Scripture. And you want to know the people, I don't know if you realize this, when you look at the kind of person who loves small groups and they have all kinds of friends, you know this type of person? They have all the kinds of friends and they have all this, the, the, kind of this energy surrounding. Why do they have so many friends? Because they invest so much in other people. It comes back to them. And it becomes contagious. Everybody say contagious. So here's the three questions. I'm going I'm to bring it to you again. Ben, you can come up. Number one, why, who, 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 do you, who do you call to pray for you? Who do you call to pray for you? Everyone needs someone to pray for them when it matters most. Everybody needs someone to pray for them when it matters most. Listen to me, church. It's really hard to become friends with someone who's in crisis. We're not our best selves when we're in crisis. And so some of you are, you're just like, oh, I'm in crisis and I gotta go, I need to see. And, and you may come to a small group and you need to be, you need care and you need love and you need people to pray for you. You can find that at one chapel. But what I'm telling you is the best time to begin to invest in other people is when you're not in crisis. And you make the investment so that when you do end up in a crisis, there's a whole bunch of people already invested in you. You gotta invest in it before it comes back to you. Number two, who do you confess your sins to? This is a tough one, but here's my conviction on it. Everyone needs someone they can tell anything to who will still love them. Think about that. Who do you have in your life you can tell them your deepest, darkest secret and they'll still love you? Sadly, m most people don't have a person like that. Now, <laughs> before you get all crazy on me, you go to your groups and you're in your, you're in your first group with a new set of people. I'm going to tell you all my sins. You don't have to do that. I'm not, I'm not saying do that. Okay? I'm I, I, what I'm saying is you got to find a group where you start to be known and you start to know others and you're committed to it long enough that there is a, a level of vulnerability that starts to be created that you're willing to really share some things and maybe it's, that's only with one person from that group you're not blurting it all out in, the, in front of all these people that's not what I'm recommending <laughs> okay but you got to find that person you gotta find that community 
where you feel the comfort of being honest. I promise you, I've been vulnerable in my men's group on Friday morning and my other men's group on Tuesday afternoon at 4.30 right here at the church. And it always shocks the men that, that I end up praying with you because the way it works is we, we read the scripture, we talk about it, and then we break up into groups of three and we pray for each other. And I, <laughs> to be honest, as a pastor, I was like, I don't want to pray with guys every time. Can we just talk? <laughs> it's so weird that a pastor thinks that way. But the truth is it's the best part of the meeting. And they're always shocked when I tell them what's really going on in my heart. And there's a tone that begins to be set. One of the best stories I ever have had is a men's group where this guy was in the group and he was going through something really hard and everybody in the group was calling me about things they were going through. And I knew all their stories, but they never would share them in group. And so I called this one guy and said, you need to be ready to share. Okay, this week, because you got to you got to you got to tell him what's going on, and he didn't he didn't. So the next week, I just called him and I said, "Okay, it's time for you to share. Go ahead, share share it." And he shared his testimony and what God was doing, what he was currently involved in, what was going on in his life, and how God was working in him. It wasn't done yet, and as he spilled it out, every, like the guys just started sharing each of their own journeys and how hard their journey was and it took one person to be honest and everybody started to break and God did incredible miracles in that men's group you gotta find a way we have to find a way I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a famous theologian and author he said this he said sin demands to have a man by himself It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin shuns the light. It's dangerous to have so much darkness and secrets. Number three, who will bring you back? Who brings you back when you wander from the truth? Everyone needs someone who will bring them back when they've wandered but I want to turn this around. Would you be willing to be the person who goes and tries to pull somebody back? Would you have the courage to do that? Could you do it lovingly enough that they wouldn't look at you like you were judging them? One of the cornerstone scriptures of one chapel is speaking the truth in love. We will in all things grow into him who is the head. That's Ephesians 4.15. We have to speak the truth in love. Anybody can pop off and tell the truth. What's really profound is when you convince someone you love them so much that they can trust the truth you're telling them. All the work is in building a community of love, a community of trust. I I want you just to pause here before we dismiss. And I want you just to open up your hands, maybe on your lap like this. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. Does everybody close your eyes? There is no community without broken and humble hearts. There is no honesty if there is pride and control. There is no fellowship when there is this hidden sin 
that operates in your life. It's very difficult. I want you to realize what you've been called to. It's not enough to just sit here on a Sunday. It's not enough. It's not enough power. It's it's not enough authority. It's not enough of Jesus. It's not enough of laying your life down for others. We have to get serious about what God is asking of us. Serious about how it works. And the way it works is you you become part of a, a group of people where you are really known, like they know you, but they love you anyway. <laughs> and all of us at the very core are unlovely, right? All of us are miracles in process. Would you let God work on your heart this morning? Would you come to an encounter moment with him and just say, Lord, I repent of being too selfish. I repent of being isolated. I repent of being consumed in the stuff I want to do. I repent of resisting inconvenience. (laughs) I want want to just do things my way. I want to have it all my way. I want it to be my people, my way, my timing. That's not community. I want us to repent this morning. And we're just going to sing a song for a few moments. And you need to know that God loves you. God is looking at you. God is waiting for you. And he's trying to nudge you this morning. So let him in. Let him have his way.